This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We continue exploring the fallout from yesterday's devastating news about the closure of the GM plant in Oshawa. As you heard in Bob's News this afternoon, executives from Unifor will meet with the Prime Minister to try to get him on board for a campaign to keep the plant working. So far, all we have heard from the governing Liberals is a promise to do what they can to mitigate the effects of the closure. And Premier Doug Ford said that his first question to GM was whether there was anything he could do to change their minds. And the answer was an unqualified No, he has come under fire for that statement. So where does this leave things? Is this just a Hail Mary pass on the part of the union? What other options are there? What are your thoughts? Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And right now we are going to Greg Moffat, who is the GM plant chair and the former chair of the GM Master Bargaining Committee for Uniform. Hi, Greg. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Or shouldn't I'm, I ask? Well, it's not the best of days, but we're going to try to change the situation and work work to resolve on this issue. What are you going to ask Justin Trudeau to do? I'm going to ask him to, to help the citizens of Oshawa and, and the employees and the members that we represent. This uh, We need his help. We don't need uh, to talk about retraining. These, are high, these people have worked in that facility for a number of years. The average age is probably 35. They probably all have about 15 years to 12 years of time in the plant. And this plant is the number one plant that General Motors has in North America, and there's no need for this. Okay. Uh, What specifically are you going to ask him to do uh, for you? I mean, all the other... uh, Doug Ford has said that uh, GM has told him that this decision is a flat-out no, not reversible, and Justin Trudeau seems to think the same thing. Well, I can't speak for the Prime Minister, but I I certainly hope he's going to weigh in on the situation because the answer of we're just going to give retraining, that's not the answer we're looking for. We're looking for a solution to the problem. And 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 this plant, this plant is their number one plant. And I don't know what kind of a message that sends the Canadian. If I was to go out and purchase a vehicle, I would want it from the plant that had the highest quality, the highest productivity, the best warranty in the industry. Yeah, but the plant the plant is tooled to make cars that are no longer popular. I mean, are, when when you want a solution from the prime minister, are you talking about another bailout, cash incentives? Uh, you know, we've heard uh, south of the border, Donald Trump has issued threats, but uh, given that it's an American company, I don't know how that would work for us. Well, I, I'd like to clarify one thing. To make a statement that's saying that the plant is building vehicles that nobody wants, that plant is probably the only plant in the world that General Motors can build any single vehicle that they have in their lineup they can build in that facility. So that plant is not limited to those models. That, 
plant can build any vehicle that General Motors makes. And right now, GM is presently launching new vehicles in Mexico. Uh No reason they couldn't launch them in Canada. Uh-huh. I mean, we saw in the free trade agreement that Mexico is bringing up their wages. So would you say that we're competitive with Mexico then? Um, I, don't, I don't believe that anybody is competitive with people that make $2 an hour. Well, to according to the you. free trade agreement, they're going to be raising that over time to, I think, 14 bucks an hour, uh, which is still a lot less than our workers here make. Uh, but I, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm asking about not so much the willingness, but do you have an idea of how this could be accomplished? Well, I, I, think, that, I think that General Motors could put a new vehicle in our facility. And and to talk about Mexico and China and that, um, this 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 plan has been in with General Motors for close to a hundred years, over a hundred years, and uh, and I think um, we're versatile, and I think we need to work with the company and, and find a solution to put something in our plan for the workers. Okay, so how do you change their minds, or how does Trudeau do it? I don't know if we can change their minds, but we're going to do everything we can to try to do that. Um, if I'm General Motors, Canadians buy GM vehicles. Mexican Mexican people, and with the greatest respect to them, we are a lot more stronger consumers than and than the Mexican population. They can't afford to buy their cars, and Canadians are buying General Motors cars. And I think Canadians, I think Canadians want their cars to be built in Canada if possible. Uh, it, it's interesting. Yesterday on our show, of course, we were covering this as well, and we, we had a couple of calls from people who that, who said, "Never again will I buy a GM vehicle." I think I think that will be become the new norm. To be honest with you, um, um, I, and, I, and that's what I'm hearing as of yesterday. A lot of people, a lot of phone calls, a lot of from retirees of the plant, and just friends and friends saying, "You know what? If this happens, we're done." So, and I don't know if that will happen because I I'm not purchasing their vehicles, but I believe Canadians. I believe Canadians believe in Canadians. What about what we heard from Jerry Dias was that he's meeting, uh, maybe you're going to be in that meeting as well, with the UAW president, and he was talking about shutting down all the North American plants. What are the chances of that, you think? I, I don't really know what, what the chances that would be. I know as of yesterday, their plants had zero reaction to the announcement. Um, and I'm not here to criticize the UAW or nothing. I'm just here to concentrate the men and women and their families that work in the Oshawa uh, Oshawa facility um, and Canadian workers. Again, um, you know, I, I think that it is a given that everyone uh, really feels for this and and is on side with the workers. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying this is what the union should be doing, but really the, the chances of this changing anything are, are pretty well nil, and the best thing is to try to move on in the best way possible. What do you say to those people? I say to those people that, that uh, I don't believe anyone or their families are not in the city of Oshawa. This isn't, just about, this isn't just about the workers in the plant. There's a spin-off jobs in our community. No one's giving up. And as long as we're building vehicles in there, we're not giving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you recently got, you know, that this was supposed to happen before, and then you ended up getting, uh, you know, another allocation with the truck. Uh, did you get an explanation about why you weren't called on to build more trucks? Those those vehicles are selling very, very well. Um, well, I think, I, I think that um, GM is saying that they can produce enough of the trucks 
because of their facility in Mexico, which they took out of Oshawa in 2009 and are building all the crew cab trucks in, which is their most popular half ton in Mexico. So um, we launched the truck. They asked us to launch the truck. We launched it in six months. It's the most successful launch General Motors ever had. Our quality in our truck within a year, within one year since we started building, is better than any other other, any other, other truck plants that are building trucks. So, you know, GM always talks about quality and productivity and, and the consumers first and the customer first. Um, I don't see it that way at the moment. Mm-hmm. And what concretely do you expect to come out of this meeting? Do you expect an answer of some sort right away? Do you expect him to say, let's go away and think about it? You know, what are you, what are you hoping will be the result of this immediately? Um, I'm not sure immediately. I'm hoping the Prime Minister is going to think about the men and women in the city of Oshawa and the, in the surrounding communities. And I think he needs to think about them because just to say that the ship has sailed like the Premier of Ontario said, that, that's not the answer we're looking for. We're looking for support and help. We're not looking for a handout. We're looking for help. And what do you want from Doug Ford? Uh, say uh, you or Justin Trudeau are able to change his mind. I don't know if we, I don't know if I could change Doug Ford's mind if I wanted to. I think he needs to look at what the ramifications are going to be as a result of this. It, it's like twenty thousand jobs will be affected. This probably just within our community. Never mind the spinoff jobs. I think it's one one per nine for every everyone in the plant. But uh, you know, we're looking for support from our government. We're looking for our government to look after Canadians and stand up for Canada. It's easy. It's easy to say that ship has sailed. But they're elected to stand up for Canadians. We're not looking for a handout. We're not looking for that. We're looking for support for Canadian people and Canadian families. Okay, well, Greg Moffat, uh, good luck to you this afternoon. And, of course, we'll be following up. We, want to, we will want to know what happens at that meeting and, and where you take it from there. Thank you very much for being with us. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Now, let's go to the phones. We've got Mike in Whitby. Hi, Libby. Am Hi. I on the air? Yes, you're on the air. Uh, first of all, I want to say that this is very sad and very tragic for all of the families and people in Oshawa and the supporting plants who depend on this income and this regular employment. But there's a few factors that don't seem to have been mentioned so far. It seems to me that General Motors is being painted as the bad guy. Well, for years, General Motors has been referred to by their employees as generous motors, Secondly, uh, the environment for big business in Canada and in Ontario is probably less friendly and less financially advantageous to that in the United States. The tax situation in the United States is better, and Trump has recently lowered American taxes. There there have been a few measures uh, from Ottawa here designed to mitigate that. Yeah, but they're not as good as the United States. And then we're also talking about carbon tax. Then we have very repressive labor laws, which inhibit the employer's ability to uh, indulge in a meritocracy rather than promoting and hiring people on seniority. I think as a generalization, you could say that the American unions, AFL-CIO and the UAW, are more capitalist and the Canadian unions are more socialist. In particular, it used to be there was one North American automotive union, which was the UAW, And if I recall, about 30 years ago, we had a rather egotistical president of the CAW called Bob White, who insisted on separating off 
a CAW uh, from the UAW, and consequently, whereas the UAW could have had a strong protest in support of its Canadian workers, that's gone. Well, I, that's that's certainly one view of it. A lot of people think that uh, Bob White did a good job, but I, I certainly get your drift, Mike. Thanks, thanks for your call. Thank you. Okay. Hang on, callers. Right now, I'm going to bring in Aaron Woodruff from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and there are two opposing opinions about the value of the last bailout for the auto industry, which left taxpayers about $3 billion in the hole. Some say it served the purpose of keeping keeping people working for nearly a decade, and others, like our next guest, say it was a waste. And just today, we learned that the Ontario and federal governments are giving Maple Leaf Foods $62 million to build a new plant, while that company is shuttering three others. So what do you think of that? Right now, we are going to Aaron Woodrick, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm doing great. So uh, what do you think? Uh, There is public pressure mounting. Obviously, people really feel for this. Uh, The executives of Unifor are going to see the prime minister. Do you think that our governments should offer anything other than they have already offered, which is uh, help for the workers who are going to be displaced? Well, in this case, Libby, I think I think the ship may have sailed in Oshawa. I, I certainly sympathize with the workers in Oshawa. It's you know obviously very hard on them, their families, the whole community. And I think that both the federal and provincial governments are doing the right thing by looking at ways to help the workers. And I think that's the key here, and always needs to be the key, is that when we're talking about who we help, it needs to be on the workers and not the company. And the, because the result is often when you help the company, is they take the money and they run. And to to give you perspective here, we did oppose the bailout 10 years ago. Um, When all was said and done, when the dust all settled and some of the loans repaid and the shares were sold, taxpayers lost $3.7 billion. $2.8 billion of that was on GM. And just to give you a flavor for what that means, there's 2,800 workers there. If you you estimate $100,000 per worker over 10 years, that's $2.8 billion. What that means, Libby, is taxpayers have been paying for the entire Oshawa workforce for GM for 10 years, while GM scoops all the profit. Well, so, and, now, and now the money has run out, and, and they're being left in the lurch. So that is my concern here, is GM got a really good deal out of this. Um, yes, we, we had people working for 10 years, but taxpayers were paying the full cost of that. Well, uh, it, and that's very frustrating. Well, not if you add in all the, the knock on the spinoff jobs and the spinoffs to the economy. Sure, there are there are other there are others in the supply chain, but let's also remember they also receive different forms of subsidy. So it's not as if they are solely subsidized; uh, they're being solely supported by GM. That's a lot of my problem with these supply chain arguments. Is if you actually go and look at the government programs, it's not as if these companies are being solely supported by the automakers. They also receive forms of subsidy. So we're subsidizing it all the way down the chain. That starts to get very expensive, very challenging. And, and frankly, the obvious point that other people from all walks of life point out to me is, you know, I always say I work in a comp- for a company or in an industry. We don't get any of these supports. When my company runs into trouble, nobody bails me out. Why are automakers and plane makers and certain industries special and other ones don't ever receive this kind of help? Well, uh, I think... Uh they're iconic, particularly uh, in a town like Oshawa. I mean, 
it has there's been a lot of attrition over the years i think at the very height there were what 40,000 gm yeah. workers in yeah. oshawa and there are now 2800 and and the city has successfully diversified yeah. but i i think part of it i mean you know that just is that it really is so iconic and obviously that when something like this happens it's a, it's 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 a lot of people in one place. Um, we are uh, in in a few minutes going to bring in somebody to talk about you know what what are the options for these workers. Uh, but uh, let me ask you about the most recent bailout, the one we just heard mm-hmm. this morning. And I don't even know if you can call it a bailout, but it, it certainly smacks of corporate welfare. Maple Leaf Foods, uh, which is a Canadian company at least, so they're they're not going to trundle off elsewhere, uh, owned by one of the richest families in the country, is getting, what, a total of 62, uh, what is it, $62 million, a handout, uh, to build a new plant, but they're shuttering three plants and firing 300 people. Yeah, you know, I got to say, on the scale of outrages, this one has to be near the top of the chain, this Maple Leaf one. So first of all, Maple Leaf's already paying for most of their own plant. They're a profitable company. As you, as you point out, they're owned by one of the richest families in Canada. Um, they're spending 600 of their own million on this plant, and yet, for some reason, we're kicking in $60 million, the federal and provincial governments. Um, you know, that's great news for London, where they're going to build a plant. That's going to be 1,400 jobs. But at the same time, they're shuttering three other plants, and the net result is 300 less jobs. So we're in this bizarre position of basically giving Maple Leaf a free $60 million as a, I don't know what you want to call it, a reward for, for creating 300 less jobs. Normally, normally, Libby, I, you know, people justify corporate welfare because it's creating jobs. I've never seen a justification of giving it but out. But in London, are, the, are those going to be new jobs or old jobs? Well, they're closing three plants and opening a new one. So the net result, the net result is that the total number of jobs, I think there's currently 16 or 1,700 workers, and the new plant will have 14. So they're going to be a net result of a few hundred less jobs. Okay. Aaron, hang on. Let's take a few calls. People have been waiting very patiently. Uh, let's go to Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. You're a regular caller. You're also a uniform member. I am a uniform member. And one of the things that struck me was uh, their campaign against Shear that they've got. And yesterday they couldn't say enough bad things about Ford, and they were going to work with the provincial NDP to, to make things better. And I look at it, you got Trudeau and Diaz meeting up there, okay? You know the other one they need to be there? Kathleen Wynne. She's the author of, of most of this. High taxes, carbon taxes, the whole nine yards. And, you know, I'm almost... Let, let me just ask you this, Bill. Let me let me because we know where you stand politically. Yeah. You're a conservative guy, but you're also a member of Unifor. So what do you think about all these people losing their jobs? Uh, and do you think that there is any chance at all that there's anything that can bring them back? Well, first of all, I think Jerry Diaz is a thug. Number two, I'm more concerned about what's going on in Alberta. They've lost, what, 60, 70, 80,000 jobs. Our oil last week sold for $12 a barrel. We're importing American oil in to eastern Canada at $60 a barrel, and we can't build the pipeline. This is so wrong. This is the very beginning of us going right downhill. Okay, Bill, thanks for that. Hope you're wrong about us going downhill. And uh, let's take one from Norm in Barrie. Hi, Norm. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not too bad. I just want to make a comment. There was an agreement made 
many, many years ago with the McLaughlin family that there should always be a GM plant in Oshawa as long as GM is, is around or exists. You should look into that because what happened to that agreement that was made almost 100 years ago? Oh, well, there was, there was an agreement. Uh, thanks for your call there, Norm. There was an agreement made uh, just a couple of years ago in the collective bargaining that said that this plant would be open until at least 2020. And uh, the, what happened to that agreement? Aaron, uh, w- what, what happened to that agreement? Why can't that be enforced? Yeah, that's an excellent question. You know, I'm not I'm not privy to the particulars of that collective agreement. And again, I, I understand Unifor's frustration here. You make a deal in good faith, you expect it to be honored. Um, but here, here's the other fundamental problem, though, with with this situation is that if if the reality is the cars they were making in that plant are not selling. It's hard to see what sort of policy change is going to fix this, right? Sometimes you can argue it's it's the high cost of energy or it's high taxes. We certainly argue taxes matter a lot um, or other sorts of changes you can make. But if, if at the end of the day you're in a situation where you're making a product people aren't buying, it's very hard to see what, what government policy is going to be able to fix that problem in the long run. Well, we just heard from Greg Moffat that that plant can make anything. Now, I, I yeah. don't have an expert opinion on that. I also know that, I mean, I remember... Uh, there was a time earlier in my career when I spent a lot of time in Oshawa during the various negotiations and strikes, and there were a lot, there were a, a lot more than one plant. So they have all this uh, capacity there that they're not using, though um, now they just yeah. have more. Well, yes, and but also remember here. I mean, I think I think the the pain. I mean, I don't. Again, we're talking about thousands of people losing their jobs. There's no there's no candy coating. It's a terrible thing. But GM is also closing four other plants. So it's not as if they just picked the one Canadian plant to, to bear all the pain. There's four other plants in the States they are closing. They clearly have overcapacity. They had to close somewhere. Um, and it's really just going to be a battle between the various plants sort of saying, you know, we're, we're better placed to build whatever the next vehicle you're thinking of. It. Okay, Aaron, thank you very, very much for joining us. Appreciate that. Yes, thanks for having me. Okay, and let's take one more call before the break. Uh, Jim in Hanover. Hi, Jim. Hi, uh, good afternoon. Um, I feel sorry for the workers, but you, you have to stop and think. Our problem is with the, these people that uh, hire our people from other countries, uh, workplaces. These are unskilled jobs they have. At, uh, on the line? Uh, I would question that. I don't uh, think you so. You need a license to have a skill and training, proper training, year, two years, three years. So basically they are unskilled jobs. Oh, I, 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 Jim, I think a lot of people would take big exception to that. Those workers on the line are good workers and they know what they're doing. And uh, you don't make that kind of money for for unskilled labor. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just insulting them. Well, I don't know, but uh, ask any of them how many skilled workers are out there. The people that are making the parts for them, yes, they would be skilled machinists. Yeah, well... Um, skills involved there, and they'd have to have a license to do that work. Well, you know, when when the economy shifts, uh, you know, maybe the skills you have don't don't work for well, what's needed in the economy. But to call them unskilled is and plumbers. These are skilled jobs. Well, uh, we, I, we I think we don't push for that too much. As long as we've got a job, a uh, place for people to work, we're happy. And then when it goes sour, 
and goes bad, they have no skills to fall back on. Well, they perhaps don't have the right skills. And you know what, Jim? We're going to be talking about that after the break because we're going to be talking about what the options are for some of these workers who are losing their jobs and uh, what exactly kind of retraining they need. And uh, people, I want to hear from you if uh, you have had to go through something like this where you were laid off from a long-standing job, perhaps you had to retrain. How did that go? Yesterday, we had a caller who had an optimistic message. She said she lost a good job with an insurance company, and it was really hard, but it turned out she's in a better place now. So I want to hear from you if you've gone through something like this, or if you're a worker at the plant and you're anticipating going through this. Uh, before we go to break, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. If we expect that the Oshawa GM plant is closing for good, what exactly are the prospects for those workers? How difficult will it be to find new jobs? And is there any chance that they will make as much money as before? As one of our callers pointed out, uh, GM used to be called Generous Motors. Uh, so the numbers to call, 416-360-0740 and toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now we are going to Marilyn Tasson, who is the Executive Director of the Durham Region Unemployed Help Center. Hi there, Marilyn. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us. So you must be uh, very busy today. We are indeed. We are certainly trying to get our mind around this news and, and certainly thinking about how we're going to be planning to work to assist these displaced workers. Okay. Well, you have some experience at this because there's been a lot of attrition. As as I mentioned, uh, at one point there were 40,000 workers at the plants in Oshawa. There are now about 2,800. So presumably you have retrained and replaced auto workers before. Well, we most certainly have, plus the feeder plants. Okay. So what is the usual trajectory or what has it been in the past? Well, we, what we've, um, you know, they, they, they do, what tends to often happen is that people go through their seventh time, and then they go for a while through EI, because there's a bit of a shock, and there's a, a sense that the plant will reopen, or that they will be called back. It's such devastating news to people that it's very hard for them to get their heads around it, and react to it. It's been likened to um, losing a spouse. It's, it's very hard for the individuals to actually get this information and move on. So, um, But the people that do choose to take um, retraining, and, and we do strongly encourage the displaced workers, if they don't find employment, to get into um, an, an employment Ontario organization such as ours and look at what kind of training options we can help. Employment Ontario, under the Ministry of Training Colleges and University, provides money for people for up to $10,000 for them to engage in some training. It could be up to two years of training. Okay, uh, but um, what kind of training is, I'm assuming, I, I remember back in the day, it might have changed by now, um, again, after uh, some of these layoffs, I, I visited training centers, so people were getting things like computer skills. Yep. 
which probably more people already have by now anyway. Uh, what what kind of jobs have you seen auto workers get in the past aside from other, you know, auto related jobs? So so what they have been successful in moving into is truck driving. Those people are interested in those positions. And um there is continuing to be a big uh, um a big demand for truck drivers, and we're seeing that with the growth of Amazon and the moving away from um, going into stores to buy things, that that's going to continue to um, to be a growth opportunity. We have also been seeing people getting into um, other manufacturing jobs, and also in in sometimes starting their own business. So people work at GM, but they also have other interests outside of outside of General Motors that they've been able to get into. So really. Um, Depending on the person, we're also, um, you know, thinking there's a lot of opportunities that are going to be coming up as well. Uh, we we've been hearing uh, there are a number of licensed cannabis facilities in Absolutely. your area. Area. Uh, so, what are some of the options for people there? So, so we've been looking at that. So. Currently, there's four licensed producers in Clarington, with Canopy being the largest, with um, 55,000-square-foot facility. We expect that three other producers will be coming to Clarington, and we expect that to result in 800 to 1,000 jobs. And these can be skilled jobs in agriculture, greenhouse work, security, water management, distribution, quality assurance, HVAC, all kinds of um, opportunities. And we know that the, um, the schools are going to start doing a lot more to ensure that we've got the workers to meet this growing industry. Well, I would imagine uh, all those things you mentioned, or a lot of them anyway, do require significant retraining. I mean, agriculture and, and anything like that is a pretty far cry from making cars. It, it, it absolutely is. And But we have been hearing for more than a decade that um, Canada is moving out of the manufacturing and it's more the intelligence um, skills jobs that we're, that we're looking at. And, you know, I know it's very hard for people to accept that, but... It's been we've seen the decline of the manufacturing industry and nothing but a movement towards artificial intelligence, the um, anything in conservation. There's there's huge growth in those areas and and unfortunately that's what you know we're certainly going to have to you know ride the horse in the direction it's going and and um, look at how we can help assist workers in finding the skills that employers need. Now, uh, we're going to go to our callers in a moment. You mentioned starting your own business, and I know people and, and have interviewed people who start their own business after losing a job. Yeah. And a lot of cases that it's, again, a kind of, I wouldn't say a Hail Mary pass, but a lot of those very, very small businesses do not succeed. No, they don't. And, and yeah. it's very difficult to start your own business, and if you've never, uh, you know, had the entrepreneurial kick before, it's frankly not something everyone is cut out for. Absolutely not. That's, it's a very small percentage that that will um, that will be successful in doing that. But we have had we have had some um, some great success stories of people. There's a, um, a, a woman that was laid off, and she started her own um, business. It's, it's a cake, a cake store and, and restaurant. It's done very, very well. So those people that have been considering it, one of the things that people do, we've spoken to GM workers, they've gotten into GM because the pay was good, 
and you know, 20, 30 years later, they find themselves still there and never really fulfilled the dreams that they were hoping for. This does give people an opportunity to you know, look at where they are in life and start thinking, well, those dreams that I once had, maybe I can start go back and revisiting them and see what um, could potentially be in the future for me. People might still have you know, 20, 30 years left to work and, and they really need to spend that time and think about what their future will look like outside of manufacturing. Okay, Marilyn, uh, hang on. We've been talking about starting your own business, and Richard in Caledon, I gather you did just that when you were laid off. Hello? That's true. Yep, go ahead. I did. Uh, Am I on? Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thanks. Uh, Yes, I did, Libby. Uh, It's uh, been about uh, 15 years now. Uh, I was laid off, senior IT manager at a large company, and all of a sudden, one day I walked in, saw my boss's face and said, hey, you, uh, you don't look so good. Uh, anything wrong? He said, uh, sorry, man, tomorrow we got to let you go. <laughs> and it floored me completely, was completely out of the blue. And uh, yes, got my severance package, went through the UI, uh, still searching for jobs in a similar field. Nothing came up. But talking to friends, letting them know what was going on, uh, all of a sudden, one of my buddies came up and said, hey, I've got a friend out in B.C. who's got his own business, and he's looking for some contacts in, uh, in Ontario. Maybe you two can make something of it. And uh, that's where it started. Uh, it hasn't been paying anywhere near what I made as a senior IT manager, but uh, it kept me busy. And at least I know nobody's going to turn around and let me go from the job I'm doing now, except myself. Wow. Well, that is, I guess, a really big advantage. Um, Richard, thanks for sharing that with us. You're quite welcome. Okay. And uh, Marilyn, you were talking about the emotional toll. Yes. And maybe that's something, I mean, I would imagine that Uh, In some ways, it might be better. This is happening to 2,800 people, so there's no singling out. It's not one person um, being let go. And there's a whole community and, and frankly, a whole province and country to commiserate. Is that going to mitigate it? And, And after all, there are a lot of people who, frankly, saw this coming. It, it, it might be to a degree, but people always remain hopeful. Um, and um, it depends on what status the person is in their own life. If, they ha- if their house is secure, if um, perhaps their spouse is also working, if it was the, um, the partners are both working at GM, they both lost their jobs, that can be a much bigger impact. So it really is, um, it depends how well they've managed their finances to date. And it's also what else is happening in their life, because we all know that outside of the work we do, there's different situations that we're dealing with. And we have known that, uh, you know, it absolutely does take a, a very hard toll on people. It's and often how we identify ourselves is through our work. Absolutely. And it's the reason we get up in the morning. And without that, it's, it's even if, um, you know, as, you speak, as your term of unemployment rolls on, it's far harder because you always feel that something's going to, you know, you become very optimistic. I'm going to get a job. It's going to happen. And when it doesn't, then you start plummeting. So, it, it, you know, hopefully people are going to have some really good support systems in place, ensure that they, if they um, do need the help, that they reach out for it, because it is devastating. And 
yes, a lot of people are doing it, but sometimes that makes it worse because there's not the, you know, you're not alone in this. Well, at night you feel it. And when you've got to face the uh, debt collector, you feel alone. And do you have any special emotional support for people? Yes, we certainly do. And, and that's part of what we'll do is making sure that they've got all the resources in place. We think that it'll be really good if people start looking at their finances over the next year and they try as much as they can to tuck money away and to try to lower any expenses that they can over the next year to try to reduce their household income. If they're fortunate and they find a good paying job quickly, then they're going to be nothing but a little nest egg put aside for them. But if not, then it's going to allow them to manage that period of unemployment much better than the person who waits until the last day and then starts planning. Uh, Okay, absolutely. Let's just take uh, one more call very quickly. Walter in Hamilton. Hi there. Oh, hi. Um, Okay, I'm very sympathetic and I feel for those people who are going through all this and my heart goes out to them and I wish them all the best. But my theory is sometimes we can take an awful disaster like this and turn it to a golden opportunity. By looking at our society, we need cleaner transportation. We need fast electric transportation. And I've been thinking, what if they find a way to convert that GM plant into manufacturing electric streetcar and bring back the streetcar and we could... You know, putting Where's the streetcar gone in the fifties and sixties. A clean means of transportation uh, that would create a lot of jobs, and that's what we need to do to turn a bad situation like this to something beneficial, not only to those who lose their job, but to keep them on job manufacturing what we need throughout the entire Greater Toronto area. Okay, Walter, thanks for that could have fooled me. I thought we still have streetcars. Maria, what would you like to uh, leave us with on this? Marilyn, sorry. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. That, no, I... Um, I, I what, what I'd like to leave it with is, is, is to, let you, um, to let the callers know that we have, um, in Durham Region, as we cross the province, there's employment Ontario agencies. Um, we're going to work together as a region. We have a year to spend um, strategizing, ensuring that we're working with government to, to put everything we, in place we can to support these workers. And the support that they need is going to be available to them in the community. And we're going to be ve- working very, very hard as a community to do everything we can to help in the transition of the GM workers. And they're going to find nothing but um, good resources, good support, and good listening Okay. When they're coming to see us. Marilyn Tassone, thank you so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.